You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host, Andrew Gerza. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store, for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie if you want for 50 percent off and then once you get that one item for half price they throw in even more free stuff let me tell you all about it okay so you got your one item at half price in your bag and you're ready to go but guess what this offer also includes 10 free items on top of that that other item so you get one free item for penis havers one free item for vulva havers one free item for couples and then you also get six free movies from the adameve.com website you can get your favorite porn or an educational film i love free movies they're so awesome this is such a great deal and then on top of that you also get free shipping what could be better this is such a great offer so, to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to AdamEve.com, you're going to go to checkout, and you're going to type in DarkPod, that's D-A-R-K, 
P-O-D at checkout and you're going to get one item, almost anything in the store at 50% off. And then you're going to get those 10 free gifts, absolutely free as part of your offer. This is such a great deal and this is just for you, Disability After Dark listeners. And I hope you run over to AdamEve.com and take advantage of it right now. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to let you know all about a good friend of mine and somebody who I think you should all get to know. If you are somebody who is looking for a companionship, a friendship, or romance, I want to let you know about my inclusive provider friend, Haley Jade. Haley Jade is a 30-year-old disabled bisexual offering online companionship for friends or romance. They have been published in Vice and HuffPost. And they specialize in working with disabled clients and are disabled themselves. Their online services start at $50 Canadian dollars and they can be found on Twitter at SexyLifeCoach, Instagram at SexyLifeCoach, and you can book them via their website, HaleyJade, that's H-A-Y-L-E-Y-J-A-D-E dot C-H, to book on their website. Just wanted to bring that to your attention. If you're looking for a fun sexy romantic companion who specializes in disabled clients Haley Jade is the one for you book them now hello hello friends welcome to the show friends thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark the podcast shining a bright light on on disability story I'm of course your number one queer cripple your Disabled Dandy, your Disabled Unicorn, I am Andrew Gerza, I am of course also your host, Andrew Gerza, um, and I am excited to bring this new episode to you, so get comfy, cozy, and crippled, and let's get this show started. First things first, friends, I gotta give a shout out to the wonderful human beings that keep a bright light shining on the show once a week with their pledge, and so this week I want to give a, a shout out to... Veronica, who gave me $5 a month and sent to me a Instagram story of themselves listening to my show a few weeks back, and they said it's one of their favorites, and they love it, and they loved it so much that they're learning so many things that they want to become a patron. So I have no sexy pun for you, except Veronica, thank you so much for sending me that sexy DM. Yeah. If you want to... And so what Veronica's getting, actually, she's getting the show... One day early, plus she's getting a shout-out for me. So if you want to get the show one day early, ad-free, and a shout-out for me, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month or more to keep the show going. I really, really appreciate all your pledges. I also use some of the money to survive and make some money as a disabled person, so... Thank you so much, friends. I really It means a lot to me. Thank you for all your pledges and for all your listening. Thank you, thank you. Upon recording this intro, I'm all kind of pumped because I saw my favorite sex worker friend for the first time today upon this recording in eight months when we did a sexy photo shoot, which I am so excited about and so happy to have done. We just had fun and it was nice to be around people again and to do... All that stuff around around people and to be kind of sensual. We didn't do anything sexy because 
COVID is still real, but we got to be in the same room and got to be playful and we got to take off our clothes and that was really fun. And it was really nice to reconnect with that part of my queerness because I haven't had a chance to be super queer with a dude in a very long time. So this photo shoot with another guy, with my friend John Shield, past guest on the show, and he will come on again. I want to talk to him again. We had a really fun, sexy photo shoot together. And I cannot wait to, to post some of the stuff on my Instagram and on my uh, Twitter to show you. So that's what I did today. But um, now let's get on with the show. I love sitting down with other disabled people and just talking, just sharing stories, having a moment together, being playful, being fun. And I met somebody recently that I just fell in love with as a friend, and I was like, I want to have you on the show. We have to talk. I met my friend Maggie Winston today, who lives in Alaska and has a disability. And we met through, I'm doing a talk. Actually, by the time this comes out, the talk will be over, but I'm doing a talk upon recording this on Wednesday night for Peer Power Alaska, which is a disability organization out of Alaska. And she's one of the people involved in that. And I met with her to talk about what we're going to do. And then as we started talking, I was like, I love talking with you. Please, please come on the show. She's funny. She's she's dark. She's real. There's something about her that I just fell in love with. And I was like, please come on the show. So I sit down with my friend Maggie Winston and we talk today a lot about her experiences with care and how care feels for her. We talk a little bit about her experience becoming disabled and what that felt like for her as well. We talk also a lot about her experiences trying to find a relationship and how she was catfished for a year by somebody. We also talk about her current partner and how they treat her disability and what that's like for her. And she talks about how for them, it's not really an issue, her disability, and isn't really brought up a lot. And we talk a lot about access intimacy and forced intimacy. And we have a really, really important conversation. And I loved just sitting down with her and having a laugh and chatting. And I'm excited to share this one with you. So with, with no more rambling for me, here now is my interview with Maggie Winston right here on Disability After Dark the podcast shining a bright light on Disability Story with me, Andrew Gerza. Maggie Winston, hello. Hi. Hi, I'm so excited to have you on Disability After Dark. You are just so cool, and I'm so excited we're finally sitting down together hello well oh, actually not as, actually not as excited as i am i'm i'm the most excited it's a competition actually and i win <laughs> oh <laughs> i see how it is i understand someone's clearly a dom we'll talk about yeah, that later one, we call it a one-upper well <laughs> i'm the master of those so oh, this will be fun then um <laughs> but i'm extra excited to have you on because you're the first guest that i've ever had in bed during the podcast oh really um you're the first fruit i mean i haven't had you in bed but (laughs) (laughs) you're in bed with me right now lying down for the pod yeah yeah which is which i've never really had before so that's cool i find that to be interesting i guess because you you've had just so many people with disabilities also and it just as a very disabled person it's just more comfortable to be in bed 
<laughs> I, I like how you qualify that as a very disabled person because I think, you know, that's a really good qualifier, very disabled. Like people don't realize there are, there are shades of disability. Sure. And some of us fall within those darker, very real shades. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, it's so funny. I was at, uh, doing a garage sale last year and this like 95 year old man walked by me and smiled and just kind of like looked at me and, and then smiled and walked by. And then he comes back by me and goes, oh, I see now that you're a little crippled. And I just like oh. I laughed so hard because I was like, no, sir, I'm a lot fucking crippled. Uh, and there's so many taglines already. We're 20 seconds into the show. Like, yeah. And, and I, I think that it is a cool qualifier because it's something that does give me a sense of pride. My disability makes me, I, I've discovered my adult self and uh, a lot of my drive in, in life through my disability. And I'm I have no functional use of my arms or my legs at all. And so I think that qualifies me as really disabled. Yep. You're like the, the most, the real, the most really is disabled. Like you're right <laughs> up there. You're like, I'm like, I'm not going to give percentages, but however many people have the really is disabled, you're like right up there. Yeah. I won up again. Yep. You win. You win. <laughs> um, so speaking of how really disabled you are, what can you tell us what your disabilities are and how they impact you day to day? Sure. Yeah. I, uh, when I was 21, I was a hairdresser. This is 2005. Um, so I had just given birth to twins. My twin sons were born. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really fucking sad story actually. Um, so should we get the Kleenex ready? Where it gets a little heavy. Um, but yeah, so, uh, May 21st of 2004, I was 21, no, in, I was 20 when I gave birth. Um, I was in a, a pretty bad toxic relationship with my high school boyfriend, my first love, you know, that whole thing. We got together when we were 17. Well, I don't know because no one's ever loved me, so I don't. No? <laughs> I, I don't know, but sure. You are the most lovable, Andrew. Drew. Drew Boo. Drew Boo. Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um anyway it's going to happen for you i fucking promise one day anyway i'm derailing the whole story (laughs) anyway uh, okay uh long story short yes i was um so may 21st 2004 i gave birth to my twin sons dylan and damon uh may 21st of 2005 i woke up for their first birthday party um, I was off work that day. It was a Saturday and I was, I started feeling this tingling between my shoulder blades. Um, and I was used to being in pain all the time. I was like 70 pounds overweight and very unhealthy lifestyle, smoking, drinking, um, never working out all of those things. And, um, so this was like a weird, more of a weird pain. And, um, so I kind of shook it off and was trying to get ready, get things together. We had a big party planned with all my family later that day. Um, and it just started really intensifying. And so I started getting nauseated. I was like trying to throw up and I couldn't. And then I noticed that like, I couldn't pee and I couldn't like, my legs were feeling weak and shaky and my hands started kind of curling up. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? And it was all very painful. So I called my mom and I was like, mom, I think I need to go to a chiropractor before the 
party today. I don't know what's going on. And I kind of described some of my symptoms. Uh, and at this point, my legs were shaking um, uncontrollably. And I was just really scared. And she was like, I think you need to go to the hospital. Instead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I was like, yeah. Kyra Regner went to the hospital. <laughs> I know. I'm like, nah, I'm fine. I just need to go to the chiropractor. She was like, no, I think you need to go to the hospital. I'll come get you. And uh, she like took her time and got up slowly, like went to McDonald's. And by the time she got to my apartment, which is only about 15 minutes away, um, her and my boyfriend at the time had to pick me up under their shoulders and carry me to the car. I was able to move my legs a little but um by the, that was like that was the last time that I walked and I was acquiring a spinal cord injury by what's called transverse myelitis idiopathic transverse myelitis is my diagnosis so it is basically when your immune system eats your spinal cord and brain for breakfast <laughs> yeah shit because uh, it's not funny but the way you describe it just made me giggle so much it's my defense mechanism i have to make everything funny to you know cover up how profoundly fucking sad it is because really i was uh just a young person and uh a new mom and it just completely threw my life upside down yeah i didn't first of all i didn't know you were a mom the last time we talked, I don't think that ever came up, so I had no idea. So now all the questions that I asked you, I'm like, I have 75 million more than I want to ask. <laughs> so I'm going to pepper those in throughout because I have so many more questions now that I know your right. mom. Um, and right. first- it's my favorite thing to talk about. My, my sons are literally, like, I feel like a, a gym bro, like, swollen with pride all the time. Like, my beautiful sons. <laughs> Amazing. And so how old are they now? I guess they'd be 16. They're 16, yes. Oh, I'm sorry about your life. It's oh, they're, it, it's ridiculous. They're, they're the kind of 16-year-olds that literally everybody wants. They're so good and wholesome. Uh, oh, well, that's not the only, that's the parts that you know. Just wait till you find out. What, just wait till you find out all the things. Um, oh, I know, right. I remember being 16. I was not wholesome, but everybody thought I was. Oh, I was not, and everyone knew that I wasn't either. Uh, and so I think that's what's kind of cool is I I see so much of myself in them. Uh, but we have a really cool, special relationship. Um, and I would be really surprised if there was a whole bunch of secret stuff that I didn't know about just because we fucking talk about everything. Do you, and this is a question that I did not write down but came to my head as we were talking. Do they, do you, have you taught them care? Do they know how to help mom? Are they like... Involved uh, in not personal of- care, absolutely okay. not. But I mean, absolutely, um, they lift me from my chair to my bed every once in a while when I, you know, when I just don't want to use a Hoyer lift or I don't want to have, you know, if I have extra man strength around that I'm like, hey, Dylan Day, come, you know, put me out on my mattress in the backyard so I can lay in the sun or pick me up and, and put me in bed or, you know, so that kind of stuff. And then if we're like eating something and I want a bite of their food or whatever, you know, they'll give me a bite or they'll, they'll give me a drink and help me with things that I need. But absolutely. um, No, I have really strict boundaries about my family providing me with, with care. Okay. I would be, I would love to kind of explore. And again, didn't write this down, but so many questions came up now that I know your mom. Obviously I can, I can think of some of the boundaries and why they're there, but like, what is the, why did like, because in my family, I'm the disabled one, and everybody, everyone, my whole family helps. 
they've done catheters, mm-hmm. they've done all my stuff. So for me, like, and it might be different because I'm, I'm, you know, my mom's son and my brother's like, it's a, it's a different mm-hmm. relationship. Obviously, these are your kids and you want to, like, you want to not shield them from the stuff, but like, make sure that it's, I get what it's about either, but can you explain more why? Yeah, I think it probably goes back to when I first became paralyzed. And my mom was my full-time caregiver for a year and it almost ruined our relationship. Uh, We were both very burned out on each other. It was not, it was like something that my mom also felt like happened to her, you know? And so I can, can't imagine how hard it was for her as a mom to have this thing happen, you know? And um, yeah, it's, it's so weird when I talk about it now, because it's almost like it happened to someone else and I just like have their memories because I, yeah, I, I, it was just, so, this was also 15, 16 years ago, 15 years ago. Yes. <laughs> 2005. So 15 years ago. Um, but I think that that first year of experiencing so much caregiver burnout, and I was just an absolute burden. My care was a just total burden. And she, without trying to, you know, through no fault of her own, except for just being so burned, um, really put, made me feel that burden. And it was devastating. Yeah, it's... And I I continue to carry that through every caring relationship that I have. So, well, which is so beautiful, finding your podcast and listening to your material too, because you've talked about that a lot, that burden of your care. Yeah, I feel and, it. And it's it's, it's you know, it's a constant feeling. Even if even yes. if someone tells you you're not, even if they promise you you aren't. My mom and I have had so many hard times. We travel her and I when it's not COVID times, we travel all over the you know, the US and the country and Canada together mm-hmm. and we've been to Australia, all over the world. And constantly, at least once a trip, we'll have a blowout because it's like Yeah. It's not that we don't love each other. It's we love each other so much, but this shit we're doing together is fucking hard. It's so hard to care for someone. It's hard for her and it's hard for me because I know how hard it is for her. And she knows that like, we had a fight. (laughs) We had a fight last year. We were in San Diego and she was helping me go pee. And we had just come back from my talk, the talk that I'd done. And everything is fine. And we're both tired, but we're okay. And I said, I have to pee. Can you help me? So we did it. No problem. We did the catheter. No big deal. And we, then I said to her, mom, you have to pull, pull my pants up. And she was like, well, my, my back is hurting. I'm not going to pull your pants up. You're fine. Like, we're just in the house. It's okay. And like, yes, it was, I totally could have been fine. And I should have just stayed quiet. But I was like, no, I want my pants up right now. Yeah. <laughs> which, really, which really, in hindsight, Andrew, shut up. You were fine. It's okay. You have your dick out. Enjoy that for a second. <laughs> but so I was like, no, you have to pull my pants on now. And she's like, but my back is hurting. So we had a, we had a big row. Mm-hmm. And then we had a fight and it turned into this whole thing. And, you know, after a, a couple, an evening of kind of being mad at each other, the next morning we got up and hugged each other and apologized. And it was fine. Nice. But, it, but like, you know, I think those discussions of caregiving, I think it's so hard for us as disabled people to understand what it's like for our caregivers sometimes. And I think the disability discourse is missing 
that piece. We're always we always start and stop with disability rights, which feels which I feel like in caregiving situations means whatever we say goes, which just can't be true. Like I think absolutely, yeah. The relationship takes a lot of sacrifice on both sides, and yeah. I think I I think I'm willing to sacrifice also because. Uh, yeah, because that that being a burden on somebody else is so it's profound. such a oh it's so yucky and heavy. Yeah, it's such a and painful feeling, and we can't help yes. it. And it, vulnerability. That's is that what you said? Such a vulnerable feeling. I think I just said I don't know what I said, but I was just listening <laughs> to you being like she's right. Yes, yes. Um, but but you know it's to and I I'm on my on my and I was gonna ask this down later but I think because we're talking about asking now on my social media I talk a lot about how what ableism feels like and how when somebody does something ableist to you it feels like a it feels like for me it feels like I'm gonna cry throw up and like I want to die all in one shot but when when you're a burden to somebody when you feel like you're a burden to somebody as a disabled person that feeling intensifies by like five times and you just you sit there in your head and you go, if I could just get up and do this thing that would take the average non-disabled person five seconds to do, none of this would be a problem. But instead, I have to devote yes. 20 minutes to whatever or it is. I have to reach inside my soul and my pride and say a thing and just sometimes even verbalizing a thing and reaching into your own vulnerability is so fucking hard. It's, it's, it's and maybe it doesn't have to be or or whatever but it's just I guess I don't think that other people that can just like move their body as it, it should or as it does realize how often they would have to verbalize things to get their needs met yeah and it's fucking exhausting after a while and sometimes I don't even want my hips moved I don't want my pillow moved or I don't want a sip of water just because I've already asked for five things and I just don't want to ask for one more thing. Yep. I would rather just lay here. In the pain that I'm feeling or whatever it is, because it's like, fuck, I don't want to ask. Because you know, you know how we ask. The way we do it is like, can you just, uh, would you mind to? Yeah. To, Wait, one more just, thing. If I could just have yeah. one more. <laughs> it's like you're asking permission, but you're also telling, but you're also hoping that yeah. so yes. And like, but also yeah. secretly hoping they say no. So you can get pissed off and be like, what are you doing? Like, there's so many yeah. there's so many layers to that can you just so um, like i'm sure I for, have, yes i have yeah. a couple girls that will be like no and you know just kind of be like oh you want that will kind of poke at me or you know like play on that insecurity a little which then is like slightly empowering also you know because then it leaves open that joking space where i can be like fuck you bitch fucking give it to me you know like and so it make it makes for that whole family feel. Like of, my caregivers and I, I have one or two that I can play like that with. I, I I'm I'm run through an agency where they they provide the staff, and I have to get to know them whoever they are. Mm-hmm. So 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 I have one or two that I can be myself with, but most of the time I have to be super polite. I have to be super composed. I have to have no emotion other than like pure joy to see them, which can sometimes be like. God, why? So, and that's their choice, or just how it feels to you that you have like 
how it feels to me because there have yeah. been, mom- been moments where I've shown emotion that like was strong or I had an emotion that they weren't expecting and it makes the care that much harder to do if they don't if they're not sure. a part of my day to day so you do often have to like I like the and I, we've talked about this before but I like how you have this familial thing with your caregivers where it feels yeah. like they're that that just is so nice. Well, I have an agency that is that was previously run uh, a, a very different way. The executive director was like more business, and then the executive director changed about five years ago, and she sort of went on this mission to really change the culture of the organization for person centeredness and for self advocacy and and for change all at every level. And so I think that being supported by an agency that really also cares about me having the best kind of services that I need for my needs. Um, I mean, I'm, I interview every single person that comes in even to fill in. So I have a full staff. Uh, I think I have six or seven girls and then two or three on the back burner. And this agency works all of my scheduling if someone needs to call in, then they do the fill-in. They make sure, um, yeah, they they do all of that really big piecing of, that's a huge, that is a huge weight on my shoulders. You know, just who's going to care for me? Who's going to get me up in the morning? Who's going to do my makeup? Because God forbid my fucking wings aren't on point. <laughs> that's legitimately a huge part of my day that like really dictates what I, if I'm going to have a good day or not. But like, this is the part that I really, really enjoy, like talking. I don't think people realize that we stress about who's going to get me up, who's going to do my care, who's going to roll me, how are they going to do it? What am like, when I get up in the morning, when I wake up and I always wake up an hour before they get there, usually sometimes earlier, um, I don't know who's coming in the morning. I don't know who it is. I know that it'll be someone that I, I know that it's someone that I, that I know. And I know that it's one of the workers that works here, but I don't know I don't know who. So until they knock on the door, it's like, I don't know who just knocked. Who could it be? What kind of emotion am I going to have to show today? What kind of, how am I going to have to react today? If it's someone that I, that I, (laughs) I know. That is so heavy. That emotional burden is so heavy, Drew Boo. It's, I love this nickname. I'm so here for it. Yes, please. More of that. Uh, (laughs) But no, I think, you know, that's the part of this that I really like. And I like talking about the stuff that people don't think about. Like, cause yes, yeah. I will get care from whoever walks in the room. That is true. I will technically get my care from whoever walks in the room, but. Your basic physiological, like bottom of the pyramid Maslow needs yes. will be met. Yes. 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 But will I be able to express? Will I be able to laugh? Will I be able to be, say, fuck? Will I be able to. Yeah talk about the dick i want to suck which yeah. and there are so many right now holy wow we're gonna have to go into that one next yeah, we're gonna have to i want to know about all of those perspective dicks uh, so many so many um <laughs> and we're only on question one and we went off on like seven tangents and i'm here for it. yes uh so before we get into the dicks and i'll make sure we do um one of the things you said in your questionnaire that i really loved and i wanted to talk more about because no one's brought that up in a questionnaire ever. You said that 
you wanted to explore professionalism and disability a little bit and how sure. those two things go together. And I'm curious because I wasn't sure what you meant when you said you want to talk about professionalism. Can you elaborate on that for us? And Yeah, absolutely. Tell- I think it's exactly like what you're doing. I mean, really, it has to do with employment also and like ridiculously low employment rate of people with disabilities and that being part of uh, like disability visibility. Um, And oh man, I I think it was Alice Wong that just put this amazing um, like picture up on Instagram about inaccessibility being caused, you know, by like um, inaccessibility. So things are inaccessible. So we don't see a lot of people with disabilities out in public you know, uh, because they can't. And so people think there aren't a lot of people with disabilities so that they don't need to be included in things. So it makes things inaccessible and it keeps- Yeah, that wheel, right? That like- Yeah, it keeps going round and round. And so I just feel like as people, especially with very visible disabilities, like there's not a lot of us in the workforce or, uh, and it's like this whole culture of not even trying, you know? Or, or maybe that is what people think. I don't really know the base of the whole issue, but I just feel like, uh, especially when it comes to employment and like being in a professional sort of uh, position, then it's like people are just so like, oh my God, you have this job and like, look what you've done. It's like extra, it's fucking extra. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's extra ableist because it's like, yeah, I have a job. Yes, I do. And yes, I, I do have value here. And yes, I can be professional. And like, sure, somebody feeds me my dinner, but it doesn't mean I can't take a fucking business call after that. And like, right. And or during, my- yeah. And then, and then on top of that, just like, I guess the extra feeling of needing that accomplishment or, or needing that professionalism or that, that position in order to prove myself or in order to prove oneself it has value as a disabled person you know like well I'm disabled but look at my degrees and look at my job that I you know what I mean yeah I I wish we could take the butt out of it I'm a disabled person I have degrees and like part of the reason why I have degrees is because I'm disabled and because nobody would fucking hire me so of course I have seven degrees because I went to school because there was nothing else to do so of course I'm overly like one of the things that I feel about employment and disability is we are so fucking overeducated and so underemployed that it makes my skin just crawl because I, I know stuff I study, I have, I have an MA, but at the same time for people who don't have like, who don't have an academe education and her just living, they're also, they also have value. And so I think there's this weird, what, what you were saying about having to prove stuff and yeah. having to like, like, fuck, if you didn't go to university and you're disabled and you want a job, you still deserve one. Like, if you didn't, you know, if you didn't, you still deserve I don't even know about deserve, but it's, but it's just like, I have found so much of my, like, adult value and, and my, the way that I identify sometimes and the way that, like, especially lots of Americans identify is through employment. Yeah. You know, and so that experience and really I've only been working like I've only been in the workforce since 2016. Wow. So, yeah, I'm still really building my professional career and 
wait, you have an MA, you have a master's? I do, yes. In what? Legal studies. I studied law and disability in my life. Shut my last... the fuck up. You're like yeah. basically a lawyer. Well, no, no. It's an arts <laughs> degree. It's a soft arts degree where <laughs> you take a bunch of theories, you write a bunch of essays, and people go, wow, that's a great theory, but it doesn't actually translate to real work. And so, I mean, I'm assuming that I, okay, I'm really embarrassed that I know literally nothing about Canada except for like Drake and Justin Trudeau. Oh no. So, I mean, I'm assuming everything works exactly the same. Like, you go for your undergrad and then for your master's. Yeah, and then for a PhD and then for Uh professorship. And people said, my profs all said to me, hey, you could do a PhD. And I was like, is there any guarantee that I'll have a job after that? And they were like, no. And I was like, well, that's no. So, what did you study in your undergrad? I studied uh, law. Of course. So, I. Yeah, you're basically a lawyer. (laughs) no 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 way no i but i wanted to while i initially wanted to be like you know law and order you're out of order kind of person but then as i started the truth you can't handle the truth yeah i basically wanted to be jack nielsen um or tom cruise but like i uh you know i also realized halfway through that when i was done my my ba I got accepted on a conditional one-year thing to go to Australia for my MA. Ooh, sexy. But they were like, oh, you don't have 60 grand to drop for one semester? And I was like, no, I do not. So I had to, I, so my alma mater, Carlton Ewan in, in Canada, was like, we'll, we'll grant you an MA for, for six more years. And I was like, sure, cool, all right. So I Absolutely. did. I did an MA there and then I finished, you know, in 2013 and I left realizing that I wanted to do disability advocacy. And I went to, in, in Toronto, Ontario, where I live, there's a, there's a bunch of um, disability employment services where they get you employment. So I went to them and said, look, I have all this education in disability and the law. I'd like to use it to guide people to become a speaker. I want to kind of do this. How do I do this? You like set me up and they were like, oh, that's not a job. That's a hobby. And I was like, but it isn't though. Fuck you. So I. That must be like the essential or the equivalent of DVR. We've got division of vocational rehabilitation. Yeah. It sounds very similar. It sounds like, oh, we'll get you a job at McDonald's. But if you want something more. (laughs) You can be a Walmart greeter. Yeah. Basically, that's pretty much what they wanted to do. And I kept saying, no, I have all this education and I have this drive to to work in this community. Please give me that. And they were like, oh, we don't do that. And I was like, okay, well, then you suck. So this is Rick Nelson's exact same story. This is exactly after he got his master's and DVR told him the same thing. Like, basically, you'll never be anything more than a Walmart greeter. And he was like, (laughs) really? (laughs) Watch me. Watch me. Hold the beer. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and for me, who's listening, who's like, who is like, who's Rick Nelson? The reason that I'm talking to the wonderful Maggie Winston right now is because she works with Rick in Alaska, and I'm going to be speaking for them. By the time yeah. this, by the time this comes out, it will have long since passed. But <laughs> I don't know. A few weeks after this, on the date of recording, it's what day is it today? The fifth. Mm-hmm. This will probably come out like the end of September, early October. So by the time you hear this, it'll be done. But I met Rick and Maggie through. Through a cool company, which name whose name I can't remember right now, but it, that's Peter right. Peter Power Alaska, yeah. P- Peter Power Alaska, and and 
they do a lot of advocacy work around disability and all this great stuff. So I'm going to be talking about yeah. how I like to suck dick for yeah. one of their conferences. Uh-huh. Actually, so, but anyway, so professionalism is so, it's so nuanced in our community because we, I think also, you know, given that you also need such heavy care, do you find sometimes you have to employ those same ideas of professionalism around the people that wipe your ass? No, God, no. <laughs> no, no. I, I feel actually like, and maybe that's my, I have, I've got some authority issues for sure. And so maybe that's kind of like my, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me attitude. Um, but like the people that provide me with care, I feel this extra need to be like very sisterly and kind of broy almost because that is what I that's my preferred method of making them comfortable so that I feel comfortable enough to ask for very personal things yeah it's a very selfish self-interested motivation but whatever is going to get me the easiest path to what I need and really that's my motivation for everything so when you have, because with my care, like I was saying earlier, with my caregiving team, there is this, this sense of like when they walk in my house, it's sort of their workplace in my home. It's a very weird, like it, mm-hmm. uh, it's not that it is in my home, but it's, I'm constantly reminded that like, if I had a big picture of a dick on the wall that was like spouting cum and all these amazing things, <laughs> if I had that in my house. I would feel very awkward if they walked in and saw that because I'm like, they work here. It has, so it's, it's, mm-hmm. this, it's this weird, like, sense of, like, I can't be fully 100% Andrew because I gotta have to manage these people. Yeah, fuck that. I just feel like, I guess, I, I have the same sort of feeling, but my house is, is so my house. And even though it's a licensed facility, so my house is a, is a group home, and that's how I receive the 24-hour care that I need. But I just, I have an agency that is amazing and flexible and is willing to be creative and, and give me the one-on-one care that I need. But I make sure th- that the energy in this house is so maggy all the fucking time mm-hmm. that when, so whenever I interview a new care person, a new, we call them DSPs, a uh, direct support professional or a disability pr- support professional. So when I like interview ESP, they come over to my house and we, we talk, we just talk for five or 10 minutes and we have a conversation and they can see my like green and purple walls and my purple couches and my crazy artwork. And, um, I've got like a mural painted this weird melty mural face that says, welcome right in my front door. So I think as soon as anybody comes in, they can kind of get a sense a little bit of who Maggie is. And so then I make sure to tell everybody right away, just so you know, like I drink wine, I smoke weed every day. I, I swear like a sailor. I like to discuss, you know, controversial topics. And this is the kind of environment you're going to be exposed to over here. And if that's not something that you're cool with, then I totally get it. This might not be the right place for you to work, but like, that's how I'd lay it out right away. Just that I am vulgar and, but I'm also fun and I'm caring and empathetic. And, you know, I think I have a lot to offer the people that come to work with me also because I'm a great listener and I've been through a shit fuck ton of experience that has made me fierce. And I feel like I have 
a good good advice and good things to offer people that you know are stuck in goals or or not moving forward you know so i want every one of my dsp relationships to be mutually beneficial and if that's not going to happen then that's totally fine my heart's not fucking broken this just might not be the best place for you to work i like that it's so straightforward and so like boom like Mm-hmm. That's that's really cool. So anybody who directs their own care or gets care is coming in, follow that model, Leo. Like listen. Yeah. <laughs> well, it works very well for me. That's that's my that's the Maggie method. It just doesn't work for every single person. <laughs> the <It> Maggie <laughs> method. Oh wow. <laughs> um, no, but I think that's really good, sound advice because I think people are really a lot of disabled people because of internalized ableism. When they receive care, there's this implicit hierarchy i think between care mm-hmm. who's able-bodied and you you who are not so there's a there's a sense of like even though you're the one that's directing the care they're still the boss and i like how you're like no 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 no. when you walk in here i'll respect you but i'm the boss i'm the fucking boss and and not only that but also kind of this drop the sense that you were just trained by an agency. And I usually tell every single person that that comes in and interviews with me, like, you know, all that training that you just got to work with other people, forget about that when you're over here. Like that I am going (laughs) to be, and I always say that I want everyone to feel safe and comfortable. This is a, I kind of feel like my house is like a, a safe community space and all dialogue and discourse is, is open and acceptable, but being hurtful is not. And I was just, I was raised in a house for a couple of years where there was kind of a heavy atmosphere and, and my stepdad was a little uh, anal and uh, it was, it was not comfortable when he was around. We were all afraid of getting in trouble. And so I think after not living that way, I've always wanted my house and my space to be so tension free. So we always have music playing. We're cooking dinner there's lots of laughter lots of joking i just don't fucking like the tension it's uncomfortable it hurts yeah it's really hard it's really so i do whatever i can to take that away from the get and then build something light and fun from there that's fantastic and that's really hard to do so that just i mean that's a great skill that's part of being professional is allowing like the fun in too and I think that's oh yeah great. that's what we were talking about professionalism yeah professionalism yeah, there it I is I, I, I struggle with it only because I now I, I like I said I've only been working in the workforce since 2016 and I six months ago just got a, a new job and it's just a such a ridiculous jump from what I was doing before I was a like a peer support a systems advocate is what it's called at our um, local center for independent living you guys, do they have independent living centers? We have those, yeah, we do. Yeah. Okay, I, I should fucking know that. You Standard for Independent Living Toronto, what up? Yeah. Um, Their initials are C-I-L-T, which I always think are Cliff, but that's fine. Oh, they should have changed that around. Every time I read it, I'm like, oh, it's silt, not Cliff. <laughs> Oops. I just got to interview Judy Human for our Disability Pride celebration. What? And that was the most amazing thing. Yeah, I just got just sat and talked with Judy Human for an hour, so that was cool. <laughs> I mean, you can send her to here if she wants to be on my podcast. Judy Human, 
I have mentioned you for years and years. If you want to be a guest, hi, my name is She is just so sweet. It was so fun. I totally called her sexy too. I would, I asked her, I took me a month to come up with all the questions that I was going to ask her. And I finally did. And um, it just like came to, we were, I can't even remember what we were talking about in the interview, but she had mentioned being a disabled Jewish woman. And I was like, as a disabled Jewish woman, do you feel sexy? Because like Judy Human, you are sexy. And she was just so cute about it. <laughs> oh my what God, that's amazing. <laughs> um, anyway, back to professionalism. <laughs> that was so professional of me. Um, I, I, yeah, I struggle with it because I'm a state employee now. And my advocacy brain always wants to like, kick in with you know what what we should be doing or I I don't even know how to explain it but I feel like I am this like green-haired like crazy I, I guess very verbally open chick that likes to talk about every single subject and and now I'm sort of I'm not even sort of I'm a full bureaucrat so it's very strange having to switch those hats all the time. And what's your job now? I work for our senior and disability services for the state of Alaska. And so we are the division that approves the, the plan of care and um, that provides the disability home and community, home and community based services for Alaskans. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, such a, yeah. that's such a big, you know why you know, I love that though. And I love that specifically because, Mostly people who design services for disabled people, home, home-based services, are not disabled. Therefore, they don't know what it feels like. And you can help somebody craft a care plan or craft a care need. Well, that part is not necessarily part of my job. And, but, but what it is, we got, um, our state got a five-year ACL grant called Living Well. And so really the main focus is just to improve the uh, health community integration, employment, uh, and safety of, indiv- of individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Oh, fantastic. So it's a new position and it's only, it's like a long-term non-perm and um, I'm still really, I'm figuring out exactly what it, what it is. And I just have this strong desire to, to help and, you know, kind of like piece together this cultural systems change that makes these services better um, and I just have so much learning to do. I have so much learn. I don't even know which way is the best way to learn yet. And I happen to have this amazing boss who's wonderful and kind and uh, so freaking smart and all these very accepting coworkers, which before I would have um, always said that like, you know, the state or they're, they're like the powers that be that can like approve or deny your services so there are these evil bureaucrats that are pulling the strings on all of us poor little disabled puppets you know and that's just not the way it is at all (laughs) that's kind of cool because i would have said the same thing and like when i i deal with provincial based services that give me my basically my canadian version of ssi and so i would when i and i don't interact with them very much when i do talk to them i I get that same feeling of like i do so much work to like Mm-hmm. get through all the, all the loopholes and then maybe if I work there like or if I saw a glimpse of what they actually did there it would be different yeah it's it's a really strange paradigm shift in my own thinking for sure because you always 
I, I always anyway want to like want to blame something or someone. And I've, I've gone through all these series of like fights in my life. I had to fight for custody of my kids. I had to, I've had to fight for my services that I receive and I've had to fight to, you know, get this, my house built. And um, so now working for this, the same government agency that I feel like I've had to fight before, I see that all my coworkers are amazing there are people that care about individuals with disabilities and want to make the system better as well. And that I've just had this wrong idea. And I think that a lot of people do um, because of this professionalism, because of the, that kind of like wall that has to be up when you are a state employee, because of the lack of communication between families. And so I'm able to see this complete other side of the bigger picture. And it's been an experience. I think I think like that's so important because I think we don't hear enough about the other side of it and I think we need yeah. to again I think disabled people's rights should come first but I think there needs to be conversations about what the other side is actually doing because I think a lot of these state agencies whether they mean to or not a lot of it feels secretive when you're on the other side it feels like no one is telling you the full story sure and so and it's like your fucking life I mean, right, our services and the people that come here and provide us with the care we need, that is how I do everything. Yeah. That is what my life revolves around. And it would be really difficult to be removed from that, but also be having the power to be approving or denying, you know, so we can, I anyway, have been able to concoct some crazy ideas about these puppet masters and how evil they are when it's just, it's really not the fucking way it is at all. It's just people trying to do the, trying to do their best and maybe yeah. not have it. But the good thing, like the great thing about you being in there, is that you have a lived experience yes. and a lens that they need. And like, yeah, that's exactly that, what I wrote in my cover letter. Fantastic, good, good, because you have a lens that that will give them a whole different view on what they're doing to make yeah. it them stronger. Yeah, and it was like they chose me. And it took a while to get in the position, like eight or 10 months or so. They, so they chose me and it's like, it, it's just so cool because the position is like, it, it should be a person with a disability, especially somebody with like, with a waiver, a Medicaid waiver. And so that, yeah, they chose me and have entrusted me. And I'm learning so much and I'm, and I'm developing professionally so much. Um, and I'm working on my master's degree also. So I feel like after I do this five-year position and then, um, I, and then also have a master's degree to boot, that it will it really excel my career and professionalism even more. Yeah. And what is your, like, after this non-perm perm role you're in? Uh, what do you want to like, what do you see yourself doing? I would really like to end up in Washington DC eventually and be able to shape some policy and regulation there. Oh girl, you want to be like Judy human for this generation? You know? Oh, if I can be a eighth of Judy human strength and power, then that would be dope. I mean, but I would really like to, uh, at least inform and shape disability policy nationally, uh, or inter and internationally. Yeah, that would that's, be great. That's really amazing and really cool and so Thanks. ambitious. Ambitious and like that. I think the more, the more severely sexy disabled people we have it there, 
ones yeah. with like wheelchairs and needs that are completely different from the other needs. And I think the more people we have in Washington and, and other other capitals and other parts of power, like mm-hmm. the more things will change. And this whole fight for accessibility will never stop, but it will transform in a way that I don't think it has yet. Yeah, I I agree. And I want to help. I would just really like to push that forward a little bit because I think that I have really good experience. I think I have something to say. And for some reason, like people will listen. Because <laughs> I mean, you're no nonsense. Like you just cut to the quick. And I think, no. I think, I don't know. But you do. But I mean, also from just t- talking with you briefly today, like you do so in such a way that is inviting and that isn't that I think for non-disabled people who who encountered able-bodied. Uh, sorry, let me try that. Let me try words again. <laughs> for, for non-disabled people who encounter able-bodied people, they're afraid of getting admonished for being ableist and they're afraid of doing the wrong thing. You, it seems, with your care environment, the way you run that part of your life, you can be firm, but also let them kind of make a mistake and let them learn as they go. And so I think Mm -hmm. why you're really good for the position you have is because you can be with a bunch of non-disabled people in your position. And if they fuck up, you can like gently guide them in the right, in a better direction and be like, here's why that sucked. Let's try again. That's what, that's what Vincent, my fiance says. That's what he says. Uh, that I'm I'm like the bridge between disabled people and non-disabled people. Yeah, yeah. I I yeah, feel that I, so much in my heart. Like just for aw, me, thanks. that's the kind of person that I want to be. I want to be the bridge. I really want to be. I want to be a bridge. I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to create strife. No. I don't want to make it harder. I for be a sexy fucking bridge. I mean, I like the, I like being a sexy. I feel sexy. I do. I feel I feel like a sexy disabled person. And it's it's fucking great. I mean, I like it. I like being the object, and I especially <laughs> I do. I love being objectified sexually, well, by my partner. Um, but With consent and love and all those things. Yes, and all those things. I'm I'm actually ridiculously rid, ridiculously uh, prudish in my own life, but I'm very drawn to overtly sexual people, and I think that's it. Definitely, what made me drawn to you. I mean, wow, I'm blushing. No one can see it, but I am. Uh, but okay, so you brought us there. We're now at Dicktown, USA. Yay, finally. Let's stop talking about our jobs and talk about dicks. So let's get to Dicktown. Um, the question that's going to start off Dicktown is, <laughs> what are some of your kinks with respect to sex and disability? So oh, that's such a great question because I am the most painfully vanilla sexual person really in existence and I am I guess my only kinks are that I'm just so turned on by my partner that I'm in love with and I have to be in love and I I think probably just because of my own issues with men and masculinity um, and and vulnerability that I have in order to feel really sexy and really safe and in the moment I have to be very in love and very trusting. That's fair. So, yep. Yeah. Um, and so my, yeah, my sexuality is so vanilla in that way. And I, I love the, just the sound of my partner breathing turns me on. Oh, oh Lord. yeah. It's, 
um, I guess, yeah, that, that is what it is. But I love living vicariously through others. And I've got a couple girlfriends um, and, and guy friends that are very, very sexual. And I'm like, tell me everything. We both talked to Rick. <laughs> we both had conversations with Rick. Shout out to my, my bestie, Rick. Hey, Rick. Um, um, so tell me about that dick. Oh, the the one, the only one. The one, the one. Oh, fabulous, absolutely fabulous, <laughs> in every possible way. Yeah, he. Well, I, and my my fiance. Oh my God, he'll be so mad. So I can't <laughs> say say too much, I guess. Um, but he is is tall and buff and handsome and kind. You can send me that picture after we're done. <laughs> <laughs> and. It, the, literally the most wholesome man in the universe and it would it's so he's so perfect in that way because it just wouldn't be able to work out any other way i i hate men and i think that they're all gonna hurt me and i think that they're all bros and it, yeah it's it's sort of really not adaptive at all but i have this man in my life we've been together five and a half years who who threw no words and only actions just shows every day that men are trustworthy and they're good. What was his experience? What was like your experience of him learning about your disabilities? So strange because it's not something we've ever, not we've ever, but it's not something we regularly talk about. It's what? just kind of not a big deal for him. Yeah. And it was so many. it's really strange for me too because disability is a huge part of my life obviously and and I work in disability services so I live and breathe disability all the time but for him it's something we talked about in the beginning you know and especially like the first time we had sex I don't even I hadn't even had enough time to think about how it was going to work out it was just like all of a sudden he's like manipulating my body and tearing my clothes off and my legs are up over his shoulders and I was like oh this is so awesome oh my god well because I guess I guess in some way you got to turn off a little bit you got to like turn that I have to worry about everything disability part of your brain got to like shut down which I relinquished control to him and he delivers (laughs) and he delivered yeah, I, I am excited. You can text me a picture of him later. I'm excited to see it. <laughs> um, but like, does he, you know, as far as you, does he talk about his disabled girl, or does he just say you're his fiance? He, I, so everybody that knows him that hasn't met me knows that he has a disabled girlfriend that his fiance uses a wheelchair, um, and so he does. It's it's not the first thing that he says. You know, he'll talk about. I mean, and he talks about me all the time, especially to his coworkers, and he's so so sweet and so cute he yeah he's he talks about me all the time um and so it's I think it's probably kind of strange when he suddenly drops that um he has a paralyzed girlfriend or fiance but but yeah he talks about me in a way that is just not that big of a deal and so yeah like I I really I would I would I would guess for you in a way that that, that him kind of not fully addressing everything about your disability all the time is a nice breather for you yeah yeah except I mean sometimes you know I want to be vulnerable and I want to talk about disability stuff and we do but 
yeah, it's just, it's like our relationship does not, disability is not a large part of our relationship in, in a emotional or even communication type of way. It's just not. And I guess that's because you have this, all the support set up. See, with, with any kind of sexual relationship exactly. that, I, that I have, my disability yes. has to be a part of the whole thing we're doing all the time. So, so like, it's a privilege. I, I, get to, I get to have it not be a part of our relationship. Because, I mean, there's lots of other issues that come along with it, too. You know, Vince doesn't like when there's someone sitting next to us in bed that's like, um, you know, kind of, there, uh, we have a, a large king-size bed. But then on my side over here, there will be someone sitting on the stool next to me, you know, like helping me vape or helping me smoke weed or helping me, you know, um, eat my dinner or just kind of like hanging out and giving me snacks. And me and Vince will do that kind of stuff sometimes too. But I really like to have somebody else make sure all of my needs are met. And so I, I do a bad job balancing that sometimes and not knowing when I should ask the person to leave the room so we can have alone time, you know, so having someone here all the time really does pose a lot of relationship issues, but he's fucking cool. He's fucking cool about it. He gets it. You know, in the middle of the night, it sucks for me to have to call someone in when I have to pee or it sucks for him to wake up and like in the dark, have someone kind of standing over me, (laughs) helping me pee, you know, looming, he says, um, and so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of weird things that as a couple we've had to get around, but he's, he's cool about it. He gets it. And he, he says, you know, yeah, it sucks having someone in the room all the time or having someone be around you, but he says you're worth it. I would love to do a whole other episode with just him to hear kind of the, the way he feels about all that. Cause I think, I think hearing from disabled people's partners is also really cool. So, Hey, yeah maggie's person i would be interested to hear that too maggie's person if you want to come on the show let's figure it out okay all right um um before you met him what was the disability dick thing like for you was did you i guess before i met so i did have an online relationship for a year that was very strange and very intense and emotional um, yeah. And, and so that, uh, it's so weird. I could go on, I could go on a, a 10 year rant I'm with ready. this story as well, because I, I am almost a hundred percent sure I was catfished, but oh, no. I, really don't know. I really, I don't know. And I don't know if I'll ever know, oh, but yeah, I, yeah, no, it's, it's either it, no matter what the answer to the story is, it's a very fucked up, very sad scenario and I don't know I still I don't know what happened to me but I was in love with a person I was very in love and very invested in this relationship and then it just became obvious that it was I wasn't we weren't going to meet and that we weren't gonna after a year um you nothing has happened and and there's no facetiming no video chatting and you don't want to come and visit so something's weird so I cut it, but, but in that year, I mean, it was very sexual. Also, we had phone sex all the time um, yes. and gift exchanging. We talked on the phone for sometimes eight hours a day Whoa. and cried, cried together and laughed together. And it was like, I was very in love with this person and he was very in love with me too. And then, and then um, I cut off the relationship because I was upset that it wasn't going anywhere. And I was feeling like something was weird. 
and I got a text message from a family member that he had committed suicide and that it, and it all happened in such a very strange way that in the, in the, at the time it was obviously just life shattering and devastating and all of these things. But then I guess after processing, this was 10 years ago now, this was 11 years ago, actually, um, this month. This happened in 2009. Um, and so after 11 years of processing um, and talking about it, I it makes the most sense that this person wasn't who they say they are and that, um, that something was amiss. That's rough. Because I think yeah. when, when we're disabled, and especially for you at that point, you had just kind of become disabled yeah it was like three years after my disability yeah and 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 this person was gorgeous and tattooed and muscular and sweet and we have the same type of dude are we in the same i I think we are (laughs) yeah and so this this gorgeous tattooed muscular person is telling me everything i've ever wanted to hear from a sweet man and uh yeah of course i'm i'm into it and so like i think i think you know the ableism that we feel around our bodies and our disabilities would hit even harder when that opportunity was taken away whether it be through catfish or whether the person actually committed suicide like that's hard yeah yeah it was it was really really hard and and the the guilt too the absolute i mean um, it was so emotionally devastating in every single way. And, and just the, the hope of a future that I talked about marrying this person oh. and having kids with this person and every, every single, it, you know, the in love and, and it was just so, so, I was so emotionally invested. We'd spent so many hours talking and, and crying and, and really just helping each other. This person was my close close friend and he could tell from the way that I answered the phone if something was wrong you know he'd call and I would say hello or hey and immediately what's wrong what's going on talk to me yeah it was amazing and so that to for that to end and and then so no matter what if this person was a catfish and they're still alive and they were not who they say they are and they're a 50 year old woman instead of a 25 year old guy at the time um that's pretty fucked up or i was in a relationship with this person and then ended it and then they killed themselves and that's really really fucked up yeah i had a not at all the same but i had a relationship with somebody for a few months about three years ago they were a sex worker and they um i was really invested in them i really liked them i was really into them and yes i was paying them and yes i was i was giving them money for their services but they told oh, me that the, the emotion is still there yeah exactly don't, don't downplay yourself and so i was i was working with them and they told me that one day we're gonna fuck and we're not gonna you're not gonna have to pay me it's gonna be we're gonna just have you know friend sex and i was like oh great so like i held on to that and i never worked with a sex worker before so it was a new experience for me and then mm-hmm. one day they ghosted me and they disappeared and they left and i was yeah. shattered for like I want to say six months. Mm-hmm. It was really, I've never been that invested in a person that mm-hmm. I, that I wasn't this person. And they just left and I've, and now they've moved, they moved countries 
I'm like, I know they exist and I know they're still real, but it's like, you hurt me, man. Like, yeah. I went, like it, it hurts. And like, it makes you feel like, what's wrong with you that this person did this? Yeah. And I feel like, listen, I respect people who go through mental health stuff. I respect that mental health is a thing and people can go through periods. Absolutely. But when they use, when someone ghosts you and then you finally get a hold of them and they use mental health as their reasoning, it's like, I get it, but you could have sent a text. It and it just, doesn't make it any less painful or hurtful. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I feel for you. And you told me like that. I can't imagine doing that for a year. It was a year? It was a year. That's a lot. That's a, wow. That's, yeah. So as somebody who's been in a, in a similar shitty situation, um, I feel for you. Thank you. It took um, three years to even really start to be able to process. And then... And then when I started being able to talk about it a little more and, and really, um, yeah, when I started being more open to to being able to talk about it, then I realized all of the, the funky things, the the really, yeah. And, and there's just so much more, so, so much more to the story. Um, but what, what I, what really, when at the end of the day, I was in love with this person and I gave them absolutely my truth and my whole heart and soul. I, my only feel like my only mistake was that I was closed off um, and that I, w- I was willing to shut it down when I would, when I wasn't getting what I wanted after a year, which was a meeting. And it didn't feel like that was too crazy. Anyway, no, it, it, it was, it, it was fucking terrible. Yeah. yeah that sounds brutal. And, and, uh... and really my only sexual experience other than, um, other than my kid's dad, and a sprinkle of others when I was a teenager, I'm very sexually inexperienced, but that is because I think of my inability to be vulnerable very often. So does your disability allow that to change a little bit now? Has it, has it opened up that yeah, part of yourself? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and just experiencing with Vincent and he's so, he's so sexually brave and open and, um, does he just, have a twin? He does not, but he has twin brothers. They're anyway, terrible. Though. So my number is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would love that so much, but um, but yeah, he Vincent is so so brave, and I say brave just because um, I think anybody that is open with their sexuality and open to sharing their body and their because that to me is so emotional. And people yeah. that can um, cut their emotions from their sexuality, that's bravery, in, in my opinion. It's hard. Yeah? It's something you actively try to do, or is it, does it, is it natural? Like, you mean not be, not have emotions during sex, or have yes. emotions To well, not? Because I don't feel like I'm in control of it. No, I have emotions all the time. I'll say shit that's yeah. like, oh, no, you shouldn't have said that during that thing you did. Like, you should have... Oh, why, why yeah. oh, you're an overthinker, too. I can hear it. So, like, I say the stuff that I definitely... Andrew, you're ruining the moment. Stop talking. Stop talking and let him dick you down. Stop speaking yes. right now. Enjoy yourself. Stop talking. It's really hard. It's really hard. Um, have you ever you... Made... So then, have you ever made love? You you said you've never been in love. I've been in love. I've just I've never okay. had the I've never had the love reciprocated by somebody. Oh, never reciprocal. So you've never 
been in love with someone that's madly in love with you. Nope. I've been in love with straight guys. I've been in love with gay guys that that I'm like that that I really like. Like, I'm probably I'm probably in love with some people right now, but I know they would never reciprocate. So it's like, what's the point? How do you know? I just know. Oh, I don't think you do. <laughs> it's a, you know, but you know, but you you do know though. You, you, you uh, you're probably right. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you feel something just, where you're like, there's nothing there, and like I, I don't know. I've reached this weird point in my in my sexual kind of life, in my romantic life, where I'm like 36. Um, I have never been in one. I probably will never be in one. So I'm just like, you know what? I'm gonna get the dick when I want it, and I'm gonna be fine all the rest of the time. Fuck yeah. I love that. And I'm I love choke that. I guess. on that penis when I want to, and otherwise, see you later. Just reminded me of Cardi B's wet ass pussy song. Touch that <laughs> dangly thing in the back of my throat. Damn uh, right. I do, I think because we were just talking about kinks, and and that would be that would be my kink. I guess is that that powerful sex between someone you're madly in love with, and they're madly in love with you that sex is so fucking fire amazing it's, it's so beautiful um a question i did not write down but i have for you anyway what is disabled sex what does that look like for you what does it look like 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 literally or feel i mean can you be more specific both all of that whatever okay. you want to share it's awkward sometimes it's fucking weird and it's like it's so different. And as a woman, I'm like always afraid of like what my vagina is going to smell like or what it's going to, or if I'm, it's going to do something weird. Am I going to produce any weird body fluids? Am I going to just take a shit right now? Am I, it like, is, is, <laughs> is it a thing that happens to your body? Did you just... Yeah. I oh mean, yeah, we talked about this off the, yeah, that's right. We did. Well, fortunately, it, just like taking a shit has never happened. Um, and I don't know how because you know as uh paralyzed people's bodies do does weird stuff dude like every once in a while I'll be in a totally normal poop schedule and then I will just like shit and <laughs> it doesn't happen often several times a year still and but just to be an adult that just like suddenly shits yourself is fucking terrible yeah, and it, like it's like always a fear during sex also, mm-hmm. even though I'm with a loving, safe partner who would be totally cool about it. It's still like, sometimes it's hard to be in the moment when I'm like, oh my God. Uh, yeah. When you're worried about like what your body's going to do. Imagine and, my scenario of paying a sex worker and being like, do I want to, what if, what if I pay them yeah. and then I shit on the bags? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then it's like, do I pay them extra to like help clean me up? Yeah. Is it like or- a cleanup fee? <laughs> <laughs> at what point does this switch from sex worker to like caregiver? caregiver. Yeah, well, yeah, there's a weird fine line. Yeah. Um, and then, like, still, you know, suck on their penis afterwards or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, but, but sex looks like somebody else being completely in control of my body. And he, oh man, he, he gets so creative and so sexy. He's, he can completely pick me up. First of all, he can, he can pick up my body, which is amazing. And I think in the beginning we used to get a lot more creative, but now we know what works and we, we stick to what works and what feels good for both of us, which looks different sometimes, but we, 
yeah, switch up positions. And it, it takes a lot of communication, a lot of talking uh, of like what doesn't feel good and what does and, and more of that. And um, so it, it's, it can be weird. It can be super awkward sometimes. That's cool. I like that. And I think that's, I'm either going to call this episode the Maggie method or it can be super weird sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, but sex is fucking weird anyway. Yeah. For people that have moving bodies and, and, and people that have normal emotions and um, sex is just weird. And when you're completely disabled and, and, uh, and Vince uh, is kind of awkward too sometimes too. And we have communication struggles. And so it's like, if I'm feeling vulnerable and then I end up shutting down and then, you know, he could be like, God, what did I do? Did I do something? Is it me? And so then we have this whole, it's weird. <laughs> I like how you said completely disabled. Like we were talking earlier about like the way you describe yourself and the way you, the way you talk about disability, like you, we were joking about how it's like really disabled. And I like how I like the term completely disabled. Cause that kind of says like, there is no, there's no, turning back it is what i am and here's uh, i like yeah. that i like that a lot it is what it is oh my my poodle is gonna try to get in our shot with us. oh hello <laughs> hey um that yeah it is what it is and i used to i can remember when i first acquired my disability i was going through this whole thing like what kind of wife can i be someday what kind of mom am i gonna be because all the matriarchs in my family are fucking super women they are cooking and cleaning and running, running the show. I actually wrote a blog post about this on Rooted in Rights a couple of years ago. How, I, how can I run the show when I can't move my arms and my legs? And I have all these amazing women in my family that are showing me, that have shown me my whole life what a woman is and what a woman is supposed to do for the family. Well, I'm not going to be able to fucking do that, right? I can't move my arms and my legs at all how am I going to run, run the show? And so I, it's like, how am I going to be sexually pleasing to my partner? How am I going to do these things? And it just takes a little bit of a twist and a different idea about what those things mean and what it means to run the show and what it means to be sexually pleasing. And I am so proud to say that I can be sexually pleasing to my partner and I can make him twist and, and scream and moan and it's amazing and so empowering and, and, and I can run the show in my family and be the one who's making all the plans. And, and I just like came up with a homeschool plan for my kids for the first year um, because of, you know, the pandemic. The and, we're in. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm scheduling their music lessons and running them to practices and well, not anymore. They just started driving. So they're old enough to drive <laughs> themselves, but um you know, making the dinner plans and, and showing everyone how to do the things and reading the recipe and, and including myself in a way where I feel like I'm running the show That's in awesome. all ways in my life. Yeah. That's amazing and really important to hear because I think, I think what you describe is what I think about relationships. I think about, can I be a good father? I think about, can I, would I be a good provider? I think about like, do I, do I suck that dick good enough? It makes me want to stick around longer. Like I think about all that stuff too. And yeah. I, look, I look at my, my family's a little bit different. Like my, my stepdad has worked in arts. He's a musician. He's been a musician for years. So he's got the hustle, but like 
he, you know, he's very, he does it all. And I kind of look at him and go, well, I can't do that. I need so much. Mm-hmm. Like, but I'm thankful that like I have him as a role model. Cause even if I can't do everything, I can do it in my mind and make it happen. So that's cool. That's good. But you can, you just like, you can do all the same things just in a different way. And yeah. that's, what I think, been my important life lesson also, especially because I had to fight for the ability to parent my kids. They, I mean, I, I had to take my kid's father to court and, and make him allow me to have equal access to my kids. Was he claiming that because you were disabled, you were an unfit yes. parent? Are Absolutely. you fucking kidding me? I was literally told I'm too disabled to be a mom. And Fuck that, that. Yeah. Oh, no, and that um, I, could, I could parent over Skype on a computer exactly the same way I could in person. Because that's, yeah. Oh, that's, no, yeah. It's and it just, it just has very um, backwards and wrong ideas of disability. And there is no changing that in some people's minds. There, yeah. It just happens to be an amazing system set up where you can uh, convince somebody else that makes them have to let you have access. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I had to do. And, and that is just one of those struggles that has made me absolutely fierce. Like, you think I can't fucking do something? Especially be a mom? Hold my beer, bitch. Watch me, bitch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I want to switch gears again, because one of the things you want to talk about, and one of the things that I really like, is Mia Mengis' discussion of forced intimacy and access to intimacy. Yeah. Um, they're really important, and if you don't know what they are, look them up. They're really cool. But yeah, why... When I heard about those terms, it just, like, resonated in my soul so deeply. So tell me, what do those terms mean for you and why are they important to you? Forced intimacy, first of all, was the one that really, uh, and, and those as dichotomous terms really are, the whole thing would just, oh, it just hit me right in my soul. Forced intimacy um, hits me hard because that is what I have to do with a new care person, with a new caregiver, a DSP. Um, I have to immediately show I have to be intimate with them and show my vulnerability and show my comfort so that they can feel comfortable so that I can ask for such difficult things and that that not difficult things but personal things yeah um and that means sitting down and saying hey who are you how do you feel about things you know tell me about your family tell me about your history a little bit and then I have to share those things if I don't fucking feel like being intimate at that moment too bad. It's like, I have to just get over that and share that part of myself because that is how you build a relationship. And that's hard. And I, I do that every day with my care workers and I, I have to let them into parts of my life that I don't want to. I had a, I had a discussion with my managers here the other day because when they train new people, they'll just bring them to your house and be like, hi, I brought a new person. And I said to them, like, you realize you're letting a stranger in my house, right? And you're letting them in to my house during the most intimate moments of my day when I don't, yeah. I don't want them to stand there when I'm having a shit. Could you, would you want a stranger in your house when you're pooping? No, you probably wouldn't. So I, I laid it out for them like that. And I said, that's, it doesn't feel nice. I want to shake their hand. I want to look them in the eyeballs and see how I feel about them before they do any kind of care. Yeah, fuck yeah. And so having to constantly code switch, I think I'm going to call it cripple yeah, code. Yeah, that's a great. It's That's great terminology. Crip code switching is what it is. You have <laughs> to code, code code switching. 
Yeah, that's totally that's, what it is. That should be the name of this podcast. I could, yeah, that's hilarious. There's going to be so many different names to this podcast. But, yeah. um, uh, you know, when you have to do that, you you really have to stuff part of yourself down and stuff part of yourself away. And yeah. that could be really hard to 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 feel that all the time. Yeah, it, it is. And it's like, it just, it's so much more draining when you don't want to do it, but you know, you have to, you, you know what you have to do in, in the moment to get the things that you need, right? Yeah. Because it, it, there's only, there's very few avenues to getting your needs met. It's and even hard, it, It's even harder when you have to do that for things you want. Like right now, if I wanted to go get a, to go get a drink or to go get a snack or to just get something that I wanted right now, the bag of chips in my cupboard, I'd have to call somebody. And that part, like the need stuff I get, the stuff I need, I understand. I can totally code switch if I have to pee and I can put a put a polite voice on if I need to pee and I need to get somebody here, fine. But if I just want a fucking bag of chips, a salty crunch as they're known to mm-hmm. you, it's really frustrating when it's like, I just wish that I could go to my cupboard and reach that shit myself. Yeah, and and what I'm trying to do when I have a new person is build that foundation of comfort so that I don't feel guilty or bad when I want a salty crunch. Yeah. I'll be like, dude, I fucking want to eat some spicy Cheetos. Will you go grab those? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> and then we sit at my bedside and talk about dicks while eating salty crunches. And so that is what I need. That's part of getting my needs met. And I guess what I'm doing is getting through that forced intimacy and teaching them how to provide me with access intimacy. And that I think is so important to foster and to nurture and teach the people that are caring for you is how to provide you with access intimacy. And for those who, thank you. And for those who don't know what it is, what access intimacy is, can you, can you define that for us? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to try to use Mia Mingus's words, but hopefully I won't destroy. Uh, but basically it, she says that it's, it's how someone makes you, you feel in your disabled body. And, mm-hmm. and this sort of, it, the way that they enable you to get your needs met and the, the ease of that facilitation. Yeah. And I talk about that all the time in different ways. I talk about, um, I don't use, I haven't used the term access intimacy because I feel like it's hers and I don't want to like, I'm always afraid that I'm going to butcher it. So I constantly talk about like, what it feels like to need things, what it feels like to ask for help. I'm constantly having discussions around access intimacy because we're not, we don't, we don't talk about the feeling, what it feels like to be disabled enough in, in, in disability discourse enough. We talk about rights and ramps and buttons all the time, but even I think yeah. disabled activists don't sit down and be like, how does it feel to be disabled today? How yeah. Or feel- like, how does it feel when someone literally has to dig the shit out of your butt or, you know, how does it feel? when you're in public and you fart and it's really loud and you just kind of have to shrug it. That is the kind of stuff that I love when disabled people talk about or like the way that, yeah. When I talk about my fear of like how my vagina smells when I'm going to have sex or knowing that you can't, knowing that you, that you can't clean your vagina yourself or your body yourself. So yeah, it can totally be, that's hard. Like, but it's when something I, that every woman thinks, everybody with a vagina thinks about that, I promise. Yeah. And so it's, but it's those kind of moments that are real. And when you hear someone, I guess the, the way, the reason that I say 
I shout from the rooftops, access intimacy, enforced intimacy, because it feels so nice to have a word or a phrase for the feeling that you felt yeah, and, and a definition for it. And it was, I was so thankful of her defining this thing that I had been feeling, but didn't really know what to call it. Yeah. And, and so it, it completely made me realize um, some, some of the people that had naturally given me access or provided me with access intimacy. Um, and the reason why some of my relationships and expectations have changed, like my little brother uh, it, and I have had a very close relationship our whole lives and not our whole lives, but especially as teenagers. And then when I became disabled, he was one of my first um, care people. He didn't ever do anything super personal for me, but like he would empty my catheter bag sometimes. And and so having, um, and, and he would help pick me up and put me in my chair and, and provided me with this intimacy that I was going to be able to do whatever I wanted when he was around. You want to go fucking camping? You want to go across the country to go to a, you know, a camp for kids with disabilities? I'm going to be there and help you do that. Oh, and you did it? What you was know. your, what was the, where did you go? What, what state, what camp? Where did, where? Oh, North Carolina. It's, it's called Victory Junction. And there used to be a camp that the Transverse Myelitis Association put on there um, for kids with transverse myelitis. And so, yeah, me and Huey went and were camp counselors for several years in a row. Amazing. Uh, yeah. I was a, I was a camper for years and years. So I realized I like D. And ah, at, I re- at Crip Camp? Yeah, basically at Crip Camp, I realized I was like, I like penis. I need to get one in my mouth. Um, <laughs> you posted something on Facebook a couple of days ago that was like, uh with it was like cartoon big buff man cartoon characters and it was like when you're 12 and you don't realize yet that you're into older dudes starter pack or something like oh, that. oh yeah it's that's me 100 <laughs> percent. that's me that's me even now like hot dudes in their 50s call me my name's andrew let's, oh my god a silver fox like let's Ooh. go yes Seriously, please we're just talking about catfish and max from catfish I mean, if I wasn't wasn't concerned he was a bit of a douche nozzle, I would hang out with him. I I just don't know if he's a douche or not, because Neve is weird. I'm obsessed with the show Catfish, probably because of my experience. Because you were, yeah. 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 But I, so watching that show, and I I can't even hardly look at the screen when Max is on. I'm like, oh. He's not on anymore. They canceled. I know. He went to be a professional or whatever. Oh, I haven't looked into his career enough. And I love Cammy and Neve anyway. Uh, they're great. But Max, it's that silver hair and those teeth. I mean. Ugh, Max, hit me up. I'm just all about <laughs> the, the really buff dudes with a nice smattering of gray chest hair. Let's, like, that's. Oh, okay. Like, that's, an, I, I'm into that. I'm into, like, you got a bit of body hair? All right, let's, let's, as long as it's not in weird patchy places, we're good. Okay, and you're not, and you, so you're not like full into like bears. I mean, mattering. I mean, I I wouldn't say no to a bear. I would not oh. say no to a bear because I have caught myself a bear in a chair. So <laughs> I can't. Oh, I love it. I have That's to. Almost be, as good as cerebral ballsy. I mean, cerebral ballsy is pretty good though. I, I like yeah, that. Really it's good. really good. That's really good. Um, this was a really fun interview. We went we went in so many different places in this one. 
Um, yes, it was so fun and so important. I loved it. And I, I want to ask you, do you have any questions for me? I feel like I, I of course I have questions for you. Um, where, where do you see your professional future? Like if you, if you're living your best life, I want to know, I want to know what, what Andrew's best life looks like five years from now. Well, I'm working Drew Boo, on this. What is, what is the, Drew Boo's best Drew life? Boo. Yes. I'm working on the sex toy company with my sister. Right. right now. And the hope is, that, yeah, the hope is that Handy, you can listen to the Handycast on this podcast at some point. Um, yeah, um, my hope is that that will make us a bunch of money and then I can move either to my childhood home back to my childhood home which is only about an hour away from Toronto but it's like in the country and it's super nice and quiet there and I mm-hmm. like it there or I can move to like Australia and be and live on the beach and have a hot Australian beach a second oh away. yes that sounds glorious too and is it is it just that the the staff the care that you need that's preventing you from doing that now well it's the care that we need and I don't like because I live on disability I don't have a ton of savings and because I live like on check like check by check on the Canadian version of SSI. I'm not super like, I don't have a ton of money coming in and because my talks are not, I don't have talks like all the time. I get, they're sporadic right now. So it's, it's the care, yes. But it's also like money is a thing. But don't, don't you, wouldn't you be able to receive the same level of care if you lived in your own home? Don't you guys have home and community-based services where you get like some sort of resource allocation, like somebody would determine how much care you need? You mean if I moved to Australia or if I moved to my, to my like, child? Either, either one of those. Australia, because I would have to, I'd have to go through all the hoops of, like, becoming a citizen there. Sure. And then I can apply for benefits, so that that would take much longer. Um, if I moved to my mom's house, to back to my, like, childhood home, I could get care. But I would, again, have to arrange all that. And so right now, like, also, where I live right now, a sex worker is not going to want to come an hour and a half out of their way to, like, Mm-hmm. hang out with me right now right now i'm 20 minutes from the gay village so even though I don't, even though i don't go there very much it's like right there if i go home they'd have to come an hour and a half just to see me and like i i kind of like my 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 dick right now that i'm getting from yeah. one, one good worker so I wouldn't, oh, yeah. I wouldn't want to give that up too much at least not right now but uh, yeah if i to answer the larger question i want to move to australia and i want to move somewhere hot and i want to have the resources mm-hmm. and money to do that. That sounds beautiful. Well, um, I would love, I love, love having friends and helping them work on goals. And I'm pretty good at piecing together things that um, enable people to have a meaningful life. And I would love to help you. When it's safe to travel, I told this to Rick, our friend Rick, who will be on the podcast at some point for all you listeners who are like, who's this Rick guy that you're talking yeah. about? He's coming on the show soon. I just have to be not lazy and actually book him in. Um, yeah, piece of shit. I know. God <laughs> damn it. But, you know, I've said to him and I've said to you, like, once it's safe to go places, I'm coming to Alaska. Yes. We'll, put, yes, we'll figure are. it out. I have a van that takes two wheelchairs and a very, very accessible house. So Amazing. I want to have a salty crunch and a chat with you. Yay! That's what I want to do. Yes. And maybe make embarrass your fiance. <laughs> you feel slightly uncomfortable about oh i love it 
Oh, I I'm, love it. I'm down for that. Um, Maggie Winston, this was a fun, long-winded, awesome chat. This was so nice to sit down with you. Thank it you for was. waking Thank up. You, anytime. Thank you for waking up on a Saturday and being in bed with me while we did this. Yeah. Um, how can the people follow you? How can they follow your work? How can they support you? What you do? Um, I am on Facebook and I'm on Instagram, not very often and on Twitter, but also not very often. Um, but yeah, I, I update my, my Facebook pretty frequently with things that I'm doing, cool things. I like to keep it positive and light. Um, yeah. And as far as like work in Alaska around disabilities and cool stuff, we have a page called Alaska's DD Shared Vision. And that's where a lot of the good advocacy work that we're doing uh, is on that Facebook page. Nice. Perfect. I will make sure all that's in the show notes. Maggie Winston, thanks for being in bed with me today when we had this chat. Uh, Thank and you so much, Drew Boo. Oh, I love it so much. And thanks for coming on Disability After Dark and the podcast shining a bright light on stories, on disability stories. Um, and your story was great. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, friends, this has been another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza, your number one queer cripple and your disabled Dick Smith. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on all social media at It's Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at DisAftDarkPod. If you want to be a guest on the show, you can email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. We'd love to have you as a guest so you can shine a bright light on your disability story. If you want to support the show and get the show one day early along with ad-free versions of the show and a cool shout-out, you can head over to patreon.com slash disability after dark thanks so much for listening to the podcast shining a bright light on disability story we'll see you next time bye copyright notice disability after dark was presented created and produced by andrew gerza and crippled content creations music was by music by space robot scientists any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Notice 2020